This morning we begin a new sermon series called Entangled because every one of us, every single one of us that are in the room, that are watching online, we're all subject to the entangling effect of sin in our lives. So over the next few weeks we're going to talk about this in some detail. But if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and we're going to read one verse together. And I want to welcome in the folks who are at our Billy Moore campus today and those from our Marshall campus who are watching online and, and those from our Longview campus who are watching online. We're glad that you guys are with us. It's great to have more of you in the room this morning. It's so good, encouraging to see people coming back together. And uh, it's an encouraging thing. So if you have your Bible, if you would stand with me, we haven't done this in a while, but let's stand because these are the words of God. God breathed. And let's read this one verse together. You read silently as I read aloud, Hebrews 12, 1. It says, this is the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, since we also have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. And so the writer of Hebrews says three important things in that one verse, and we could take some time, really, I could do a sermon series on each of those ideas. The first idea is that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We could do a whole sermon series on that. That's not what we're doing right now, okay? Second thing he talks about is that we should lay aside every encumbrance, every weight, every burden in our lives. We could do a sermon series on that. We're not doing that. What we're going to focus on for the next few weeks is that third idea where he talks about also laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us. That's what we wanna talk about. That's what I wanna to come to you with over the next four weeks and looking at specifically some of the sins that the church today struggles with that I would call systemic sins. They're sins that lead to other sins in our lives. And if we're not careful, we will be subject to this idea of being entangled. Now, it's an interesting idea because uh, the whole idea of entanglement comes from one word, and it's the only place in your Bible that this word is used. And it means something very specifically. It's a specific word to communicate a specific idea under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it means. Literally, it means to stand well around someone. And you go, well, what does that have to do with being entangled? Well, here's the idea. He talks about this in the context of running. And what he says is, that sin has the ability to stand around us well. It's an idea of like skillfully to prevent us from moving forward. I'll tell you the picture of it is this. It's the picture of a group of enemies standing around someone to thwart them, to stop them from moving forward. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, we got out of Longview. We just said, we need to get away and go spend a week together. I've been a little busy since March. And so it was kind of nice just to say, hey, let's just you and me go somewhere and just hang out for the week. So we drove around the country, literally just kind of drove around from place to place. But part of what I tried to avoid as we drove around was staying out of every large city, downtown area. I usually like to go to downtown areas. I like to see the architecture. I'm, we're all, we both like that. We're fascinated by older buildings and cities and things like that, but not this trip. This trip we were like, our hotels are not going to be downtown. We're not driving downtown. Why? I have no problem with people who are peacefully protesting whatever they believe in. That is fine with me. That's part of being American. But when they turn violent, I don't want any part of that. You don't either. 
So I avoided it because I heard stories like you of people's cars being surrounded by angry mobs of people and preventing that car from moving forward. Or people who are walking down a sidewalk and some group of people surround them and try to prevent them from moving forward. And I didn't want any of that. And you probably don't want that either. That's exactly the idea that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate here, except it's not people, he says, that are doing that. It's your sin that does that. Every one of our sins, if we don't repent of it, if we don't forsake it, if we hold on to it, if we pet it or we protect it or we try to continue in it, that is the very effect that it has in our lives. It surrounds us, it entangles us, and keeps us from moving forward, doing the things that the Lord wants us to do. And so I want to encourage you to not think of sin in your life as your friend, but to think of it as your adversary. Because sin is the very thing that entangles us and prevents us from doing the things that God wants us to do. So this morning, quickly, I hope that you can make three discoveries with me related to this idea of entanglement or being entangled. And the first is this, that when you're entangled, your communication is interrupted. Your communication with God is interrupted. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. He said, pray without ceasing. It's this idea that we're all familiar with of being in a continual state of communication with God. That's God's desire for us. How do you pray continually? I've got to drive a car. I have to have conversations with everybody else. So how can I talk to God while I'm talking to you? How can I talk to God when I'm driving a car or doing something else important? Because it's this attitude of keeping the lines of communication with God open all the time so that it's not just one-way communication. I think some of us really suffer from a one-way relationship with God. We talk to God, we talk to God, but we don't stop and listen a whole lot to God. But really every healthy relationship is two-way communication. If, I, in fact, I don't suggest you try this, but if you go home and try this with your kids or your spouse, that you do all the talking, you never listen, you go, wait a minute, that is my house. <laughs> That's exactly what happens in my house. It doesn't work. It doesn't benefit a relationship. A healthy relationship is two-way communication. Well, that's what God wants with us. That's the picture of what it means to really walk with the Lord and be a believer. But when you have sin in your life that you're unwilling to deal with and unwilling to repent of, it entangles you, and what it does is it interrupts your communication with God. You remember several weeks ago in the Names of God series, we talked about the name Yahweh Zidkenu, which means the Lord is our righteousness. And if you remember, we talked about that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, which we just sang about, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he changes your position forever. You go from being a stranger to now being a child of God forever. That can't change. Your sin can change a lot of things, but it can't change your future and it can't change your father. It changes your fellowship. It affects the way you relate to God because it creates distance in your relationship. It interrupts your communication with him but it can't touch your future. So our position changes, it doesn't change, we talked about that, but our condition before God does change. And so many times when we're not communicating with the Lord, we begin to move away from the Lord and that is not what the Lord has for us. So this morning, I think about an idea that's not really familiar to a lot of Christians, but in Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says this, that if I regard iniquity or wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, that's pretty emphatic pretty direct. There was a day in time when people understood that in Christianity. I think that we moved away from that. The idea that if I hold on to sin, it hinders, it interrupts my communication with God. It's not that God can't hear me pray. God knows everything about every detail of my life, but it's that he won't respond. He won't answer it. He won't acknowledge it. It doesn't do any good. It's ineffective. 
for me to communicate. It's much like if I try to communicate with my spouse and I've offended her. That doesn't work at my house unless I deal with whatever I did to offend her. Does that work at your house? You have to deal with the issue. Then the communication lines can be opened back up in a healthy way. With God, when you are unwilling to deal with your sin, it entangles you and it interrupts your communication with God. You say, well, um, is that the only place in the scripture it talks about that? No, actually in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says that we're to honor our wives, men, so that your prayers will not be hindered. He's saying the same thing. And if you look up the original word for hindered, it means interrupted. He's saying so that your communication with God won't be interrupted because God takes that so seriously, how I treat my wife, how I honor my wife. He desires, God desires that my wife and your wife have a man, a husband in her life that honors her. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. And he takes it so seriously like he does all sin that he actually says, if you don't do that, it's gonna interrupt our communication. That's real. That's the truth. Now, I say people struggle with this idea because I've had multiple conversations in ministry, especially over the last few years, particularly related to couples who are living together. Now, if that's your situation this morning, I'm not picking on you, okay? But I want to tell you what the Bible says. And, and so a couple came to me several years ago and they wanted to get married. And I wasn't sure. I'm often not, but they had the same address. You know, so I was like, maybe they just share an address. Maybe they're not. So I asked. I said, look, before we start, first I found out if they were both believers in Jesus. And they said, yes, we talked about that. And I said, now, before we start, do you guys, are you living together or do you just have the same address? You know, what's going on? And they both kind of hung their heads. <laughs> And yeah, we're living together, and, and, but we're going to get married. That's why we want to get married. We want to get married. We want to make this right. And I said, okay, so you guys understand. I said, do you know what the Bible actually says about that? Oh, well, I said, let me just, let me just tell you. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8 very specifically says, this is God's will for you that you abstain, that means stop, <laughs> abstain from sexual immorality. And it goes on to talk about that. And then in verse 8, it says, the person who rejects this is not rejecting the word of man, but the word of God. There are not very many places in our Bible that says, this is God's will for you. But that's one place it does. And so I told her, I said, the girl was the spokesperson. The husband was the fiance was kind of like, you know, he's letting her do all the talking. I said, are you guys aware that the Bible says that? She goes, well, I, I think I'd heard that before. And she went on to tell me that every night before they lay in their bed together and go to sleep, she prays to God. And I had to stop and say, well, how do you think that works? You praying, oh, it works fine. I said, not in reality. In reality, it doesn't work at all. You're deceived. You think that you can pray and you're holding sin? I said, let me ask you this. When do you guys plan to get married? Like, like a couple weeks from now? No, next year. We've got a destination wedding. We've got everything set up. We're saving our money now. We got it. I said, so let me make sure I understand this. You plan for now until a year from now to continue in the same situation you're in when the scripture is very clear that what you're doing is sin. You plan to keep doing this? Well, yeah. I said, I can't be a part of marrying you. I can't. Not if you're going to wait a year. I can't do that. What you're doing is you're saying, essentially, I can do whatever I want and still have open communication with God. And the Bible says the opposite is actually true. Because when you harbor sin in your life, when you regard it or you hold on to it, you're unwilling to turn away from it, the Bible says that your communication with God is hindered. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you. You're, you're thinking, wow, there is something in my life and I know exactly what it is. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will make you aware. You don't have to figure it out. He'll tell you exactly what's wrong. He'll tell you exactly where the sin is in your life. And when he does, what do you do with it? 
Because if you harbor it, if you hold on to it, if you keep it, it, it cuts off your communication with the Lord. And that's not what he wants for you. He doesn't want you to become entangled. He wants you to be free from that entanglement. And that's a major reason to repent whenever the Holy Spirit points out sin in your life. So that you can keep your communication open. I don't know about you, but if I couldn't communicate with God every day, I'd be kind of lost. I mean, I don't want to live my life like that. I got saved so I could have a relationship with God. The last thing I want is to spend the rest of my life walking through life going, well, God's somewhere out there, but I don't really know where he is and I never talked to him. But there are a lot of people inside churches today who have a real distant relationship with God because they're unwilling to deal with their sin. And their sin has entangled them. It's surrounded them. And it's completely interrupting their communication with God. They're not able to talk to God. And they have a distant relationship with him. You know, as members and attenders of Moberly, we very much, you guys demonstrate that by your attendance here today, we very much want to move forward as a church, right? And I hope you're praying for that. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for us as a church. But listen, we can't collectively move forward if individually we're not dealing with our sin. We can't. Because God's not going to move us beyond our sin unless we're willing to deal with it because our communication gets cut, gets cut off. And so many times people just go through the motions. They still show up at church. They still hang around the people of God. They might even listen to Christian music. They do a lot of outward things. But until you're willing to deal with that, you cannot have open communication, back and forth, two-way communication with God. And so this morning I want to challenge you to deal with your sin. And not just today, but in the weeks ahead. See, how long has it been since you've actually repented of sin. And some of you may go, man, I have a sin that tangles me up and it, it trips me up over and over again. I don't even know how to repent of it. I don't even know how to be sincere. I've repented so many times, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to quit. Maybe it's an addiction in your life. It starts, but that's what being entangled is all about. Is it's this repetitive thing where you get discouraged and you feel like you can't stop now. The Lord can help you. He can help change that. So. Stop being content to just go through the motions and let's get real as a church, individually, because the church corporately is only as strong as the church is individually, as each of us are in our own walk with the Lord. So the first thing you see is that when you're entangled, your communication is interrupted. The second thing you see is that when you're entangled, your growth is disruptive. This idea of growing in the Lord, he talks about a race, and he talks about running the race with endurance, which suggests that the race, from the time that you meet Jesus until you enter eternity, that's your race, and it might be a very long race. It might be a marathon. It requires endurance. It's not a sprint, for sure, for most of us. It's a long race. But there is no way, I love the metaphor, there's no way you can physically run if your feet are tangled up, is there? And that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say you can't make progress spiritually if you're entangled in sin. That's an illusion. That doesn't work. That, that's not the way this thing works at all. So you can't run until you deal with the sin in your life. And God wants you to run. He describes it as an opportunity to, to have a long run at this. So we're always in danger. And your individual sin, the things that you struggle with, may be different than the things that I struggle with. That's not what matters. What matters is what we do with it. What matters is if, whether or not we're willing to repent of it and to move away from it. Listen, if you stop growing, if you stop progressing, advancing in your relationship with God, you don't just stand still. Sometimes we talk about being stuck. Well, that person, or I'm just stuck. I'm in a place where I'm stuck. Maybe you can get stuck emotionally, but spiritually you don't get stuck. You either move forward or the Bible says you drift away. 
And that's what it says in Hebrews 2.1. It says, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. So you're either moving more and more to be what God wants you to be and growing your relationship with him, or if you have sin that's encircling your life, that's disrupted, you don't stand still, you begin to drift away. And as you drift away, you become more and more like your life used to be before Jesus. You begin to look more and more like your old self, which God doesn't want for you. I'll give you an illustration. Years ago, probably 20 years ago, we used to have pews in here. You guys remember the pews, right? Nobody ever sat on the front pew. Kind of like most people aren't sitting on the front row today, but Jim's always on the front row, and I appreciate that, Jim. But in those days, the second row was kind of like the first row, okay? So there was a family that sat right down here in the front on the second row every Sunday of one of our services. And the staff all used to sit on stage so we could watch you guys every Sunday, see if you were falling asleep or whatever. So, and you could watch us and see if we were falling asleep, okay? For years, I saw Dr. Johnson at the back of his head every time he preached. That's all I got to see was the back of his head. So I'm glad we could sit out there sometimes now too. But this family would come and they would sit every Sunday and it was a husband and a wife and a little boy, he's probably three or four, and they had their Bibles with them and they seemed to be full of joy and they were excited to be here. And that went on for quite a while. And then I noticed that they just were gone one day and they weren't here. And I didn't see them for several years. And then as the youth minister, we had a junior high camp meeting over in the B building. I remember this. And I saw a man and a boy come in after the meeting had started, and I didn't recognize either one of them. And that wasn't unusual because we took a lot of kids to camp who maybe their parents just heard about camp, wanted their kids to be at camp. And so there was, that was a pretty common experience. So when the meeting was over, I went to them because they left. As soon as the meeting was over, they were out the door. And I went to my secretary and I said, hey, who was that that came in late? And she told me their names, and it was the husband and the child that used to sit on the second row every Sunday. So now he's in junior high, so it's been years since they've been in our church. And so we get to camp, and I'm curious to have a conversation with this young man, and so I did. And I said, hey, I'm so glad you're back at Moberly. And he goes, well, I'm not really back at Moberly. He goes, my dad made me come to this camp. He just wants me out of his hair for a week, so he sent me to this camp. And I was like, oh, sorry to hear that. I said, you, you guys used to come to church all the time when you're little, I remember you guys on the second pew there, you were always in church. And he said, yeah, he said, but, but then my parents divorced and my mom died of cancer about a year later. And I've been with my dad ever since. And my dad's been married two more times since then and divorced twice. And every weekend it's a different lady at our house and he doesn't care about me. He doesn't have time for me. In fact, he made me come to this camp because he just wants to get rid of me for a week. And when the man came in that meeting that night, I mean, his hair was longer. He just looked different. I didn't recognize him. Honestly, the man that sat at the back row of that meeting was angry, didn't want to be there clearly, not at all the guy that used to sit on the second pew here. How does that happen in somebody's life? How does somebody go from being what God wants them to be and they're moving toward that to all of a sudden, they don't just stop, they start drifting away, becoming more like their old self anger, resentment, or whatever their life was like before they knew Christ. That's exactly what happened in this family's life. And that's horrible to see, but that's what the warning is all about, being entangled in sin, because sin entangles you and it disrupts your growth. You can't go forward. You can't move forward when there's sin in your life that you're not willing to deal with. And that's what happened in this family's life. It's hard to see that. What if, what if God places a call on your life in your future that you don't even know about yet? And it may not be a call necessarily to do what I'm doing. Maybe it's a call to start some new ministry here at our church or away from our church. Maybe it's a call to go serve him somewhere else in the world and whatever. But here's the thing. 
If you continue to grow, you'll get there and you'll figure it out. And God has blessings in the call. Not not financial blessings necessarily, but spiritual blessings. When you're doing what God's called you to do, your life is rich and full. But the opposite is true when you're moving away from God. And so what if you stop progressing and you never get to that place in your life where you know what it is specifically God wants you to do and you start moving away? What happens? Your, your growth is not only disrupted for you, but it affects the other people in your life, just like the boy and his dad I was telling you about. It has an effect on other people. Your growth affects other people's lives as well. And so that brings us to the third point this morning, and that's this. Not only when you're entangled is your communication interrupted and your growth disrupted, but thirdly, when you're entangled, your influence is corrupted. Your ability to influence other people. Every single one of us have influence with somebody in our lives. And whether it's good or bad, whether it's accurate representation of Jesus or whether it's not, we all, every one of us have influence. But if you're not growing in your relationship with God, your influence is corrupt. It's not what God wants it to be. It can't be. And so Jesus describes us in the Sermon on the Mount, he describes disciples as salt and light. Now, salt and light are two things that wherever they are, they're unmistakable. They have an influence wherever they are. You turn all the lights off in this building, somebody lights one light up, and that light influences the entire room. You take salt off of french fries, you will not eat them, okay? It matters. So salt and light have a big impact. And that's the way Jesus described us as his followers. He said, you're salt of the world. You're the light of the world. You, you're a city on a hill. You can't be hidden. And, and he's talking about our influence. Later in the book of Revelation, he talks about, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to take your influence away because you're, you're not using your influence in a way that honors me. So that's a huge thing. So think about this idea that we've talked about multiple times here at Marley of your circles of influence. Every single person has different circles of influence. Starts with themselves, moves out to their family, moves out to their acquaintances, maybe work associates, their neighbors. And then out there, there's this total strangers that we run into and we interact with at school or at work or wherever we are in our world. So we have all these different relationships. So come back to the idea of family for a minute. Moms and dads, God gives you influence in the lives of your kids. One of the things that I heard consistently as a youth pastor from kids was, you don't know what my parents are really like. Oh, they come to church and they go through the motions, but you don't know what they're like at home. You don't know the language that my dad uses at home. I'm like, I got a pretty good guess. Yeah. Because, see, I used to not know Jesus, so I kind of remember what that life was like a little bit. Yeah, I kind of understand that. No, you don't get it. My parents come to church and play the part. But in their personal life, the things they listen to, watch on TV after we go to bed, the things they talk about, the way they talk to each other, it's not about Jesus. And for a lot of kids, that was an embittering experience. They would say, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm gone. I don't want any part of this hypocrisy anymore. That was a common experience that I heard. Because what kids were saying is, yeah, I would, I would submit to leadership if it was good leadership. Most people will. But my parents aren't consistent in their leadership. So that idea of home is really, really important. That influence can become corrupted. And it doesn't just have a neutral effect. It has a negative effect. It could be a really positive influence. But most times, if you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually, if you're entangled in sin, that influence can become corrupted and be very, very negative. What about the relationship of husband and wife? We talk about this. I talked about it a second ago, that husbands are intended by God to honor their wives. Paul says in Ephesians 5, that we're to lay down our life for our wives as Christ laid down his life for the church. We're supposed to honor them and sacrifice for them. 
That's the way we're supposed to love our wives. But if a husband, listen to me closely, if a husband has a sin that's entangling him, his wife might not even know about it. It might be in his heart, inside of who he is. But he's struggling. So he's entangled and his communication's cut off. He's not getting influence from the Lord because he's not talking to the Lord. He's not growing spiritually because that's got disrupted because of the sin that he's entangled in. And his wife wants to know why he acts the way he acts. Because something's changed in his heart. He's not able to do what he's supposed to do in his marriage because he's entangled in sin. We're going to deal with that, y'all. That needs to be dealt with. God wants us to be free. He wants us to make progress. He wants us to use our influence in a way that is a blessing to other people. Not something that's a negative, but we got to deal with our sin. We can't just ignore it and act like it's not really there. Jesus said this. The last thing he said to his disciples was, go and make disciples. Go in all the world and make disciples. We, we translate that this way at Moberly, leading all people or people leading people, all people, to a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's leadership. People influencing other people. All those circles of influence. So go back and think about that. That's family. Think about your, your friends, the people that know you in your life, and they know that you identify with Christ. But what they see after that in terms of your influence may be corrupting. And they may go, well, it doesn't really fit. They say they follow Jesus, but this is the way they live. Know anybody like that? Claims Christ, but doesn't live like Christ? What does that do? That influence is corrupting. It, it sort of waters down the gospel for people. It says, well, yeah, you can pray to receive Christ, get your fire insurance, and then never be changed, never be different. And you're just, that's all you really need to do is pray a prayer. No, that is not what the Bible says at all. It's life change. Life change happens when you sincerely put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that can be done by praying to him, certainly. We do that here all the time. But the influence that you have has an influence on other people. It corrupts. It can be a corrupting thing if you're not where you need to be spiritually. So think about that. Your friends, the people who really know you, your neighbors. What do your neighbors know about you? Wouldn't that be interesting to know what your neighbors know about you? They observe your habits. They see how you are. Maybe the way you take care of your yard or they notice your interaction with your kids. Uh, all kinds of things. Who knows? Do you even know who your neighbors are? Do you even know their names? We don't even know our neighbors much anymore. As Christians, we should take the initiative to go over and meet them when they move into our neighborhood and introduce ourselves and tell them who we are and see if we can pray for them or if they ever have a need. Hey, look, you can come to my house and I'll help you with whatever I can help you with. If I've got a tool you can use, if I've got something you need to borrow, come get it. I'm glad for you to have it. We can have that kind of influence in our neighborhood, the people that live around us, but we have to be the ones that take the initiative. But oftentimes our neighbors don't know that about us. Maybe they, they know what political party we're affiliated with because of the signs we put in our yard, and that's fine, but that shouldn't be the end of it. I'm not here just to make political points or have an influence politically. My influence is bigger than that. My influence is for the Lord, and yours is too. What about people we work with who are around us eight hours a day or maybe more or less, but they... They see what we're like. Do we have, is it, is it a consistent influence in their life or is it a corrupting influence in their life? We say we follow the Lord, but that's not actually the way we live our lives. That is not a neutral thing. It can be a really negative thing. The entangled Christian does more to damage the cause of Christ than almost anything else. Let me say that again. The entangled Christian who's entangled in their sin does more to harm the cause of Christ than almost anything else. Listen to me very carefully. Satan is always at work to talk you out of your influence. To convince you that your influence is not this, your influence is this. 
You don't really have that much influence. And you may be sitting there right now going, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't have a lot of influence. Oh, yes, you do. Because God has a call in your life to have influence, to be salt and light. And he wants to use you in that way. But if you're not growing in that, you're not going to progress in that. You're going to backslide away from that. We used to use that phrase, backslidden. I love that. It's not really in the Bible, but it's a pretty depictive uh, idea of somebody's not moving forward, they're sliding away. That's kind of the way it looks when you drift away from the Lord. And so the reality is the Lord wants to use you in other people's lives, but Satan's always trying to talk us out of our influence. You're not really that important. You don't really make that much difference. You're not that significant. Your influence doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. You know, we think about heaven, and sometimes uh, there have been songs written about heaven, about when we get to heaven, that there may be people who were there who are, who are there because of our influence. And that they, they come up to us and they want to tell us, thank you so much for what you did to influence me. I don't know if that's going to happen in heaven or not. I hope so. That'd be pretty cool if it did. I know I can think of a bunch of people I'd like to speak to in heaven and let them know that I'm thankful for what they did in my life uh, before I knew the Lord or as I moved into my relationship with God or especially after that as I began to grow. But it, whether that happens in heaven or not, I think heaven's going to be a place. What that's trying to say is heaven's going to be a place where you realize how much influence you had. And I bet you'll be surprised. So why not just fast forward there now and say, Lord, would you give me a glimpse of what influence I have? Let me just take stock. Let me really do an inventory. Because if you minimize your influence, you tend to not take it seriously and you miss a lot of opportunities to influence other people for the Lord. I know God wants to use us in other people's lives. And I, I know that this idea of running is this idea that from here until eternity, I'm running toward heaven. I'm running toward that. That's a picture of what my life and your life is like as a Christian. I'm moving toward that continually. So what stops me? My sin stops me. Being entangled in my sin stops me. Being surrounded by my sin stops me. And it stops you too. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to deal with some what I would call systemic sins that, that all of us struggle with. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we close out this morning. I'm going to ask you to be honest before the Lord and just say this to the Lord. If you can say it honestly, God, if you show me, and you may already know, but he may show you something else over the next four weeks or so. If he shows you a sin that maybe you were unaware of or maybe you tried to ignore, but you become entangled, tell him now on the front end, I'll leave it. I'll abandon it. I'll repent of it. I'll walk away from it, whatever it is. And you may say, well, I've tried that before. It doesn't work. God's going to honor a prayer of repentance, sincere repentance. We're going to talk about some ways to conquer that. We're going to talk about some ways to get past that, to stop being entangled, because you can't run when you're entangled. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to run for him, to be free, to grow in our relationship with him. And so this morning, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you a chance to silently do that right now. Just say to him, Whatever you show me, I will repent of. I'll walk away. Can you imagine how strong this church will be if each of us take that seriously, just that simple prayer? If you show me my sin, I will, I will abandon it because you've already changed my position in Christ. You've already, you've already secured me. I have nothing to lose. Father, I'm thankful this morning that that is true. For those of us who know Jesus, we don't deserve it. We don't pretend to deserve it. We're thankful for your grace in our lives. We're thankful that you meet us right where we are and you, 
you bring us into your family, you adopt us. You turn our lives around. You change us and transform us. God, I pray you would help us individually to see new life, to see new growth, to see fruit like we've never seen before, not, not just for individuals, Lord, all of us as a church, that we would see it individually, but it would transform our church collectively, corporately. For those who are here in the room, for those on our Marshall campus, for those at Billy Moore, for those at our Hispanic ministry, our Vietnamese ministry, Lord, for those who are watching online, God, would you do something that can only be described by saying you did it? <laughs> That's what we want. So Lord, help us. Help us to do your will. I pray these things this morning in Christ's name. Amen.